From the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. A scripture from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 62. Hear God's word for you and for me, even today. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Amen. Before I read our second text, I want to invite all the children uh, who want to participate in godly play can go over with Miss Sarah Kay. We welcome Sarah Kay back after her maternity leave. It's so good to see so many children in worship with us today, and she'll meet you right here and take you on to godly play. Practicing for the wedding, I think. Good job. You want to help her, Kate? All right, made it. We made it to the front. Our second text is from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the sixth chapter, verses 7 through 13. Just to put this in a little context, this is part of what's known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, where Jesus is teaching and instructing his disciples about the things of God and the things of the kingdom of God. Uh, And so this is Jesus' teaching on uh, prayer. Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 7 to 13. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Pray then in this way, says Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open this ancient word afresh to us this day so that we'd be challenged and changed. That we would even be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I once heard a story about a young family that was traveling through Italy. The younger, youngest member of this particular family was a first grader, so she was about six years old. And on the day that they were in Milan, they decided to tour the magnificent Duomo, uh, the main cathedral of that historic city. And as they were walking around uh, the sanctuary, the first grader's eyes became fixed on an older woman uh, sitting in the pews. She studied her as she knelt and as she mouthed words without making a single sound. The child asked her parents, Mom, Dad, what is she doing? One parent whispered, I think she's praying. Well, what is praying? The child asked. The parents looked at each other with some measure of guilt They weren't a particularly religious family. They didn't practice the habit of prayer in their home, so they struggled to come up with an adequate and articulate and accessible answer for a six-year-old mind. The mom finally said, I guess praying is when you ask God for something you want. Immediately, the child walked over to where the woman was and knelt down next to her, in that same pew, and she started to mouth words without a sound. The parents quickly pursued her and asked her, what are you doing? And the child opened one eye and looked up to her parents and said, I'm praying for more gelato. There's something wonderfully innocent and lovely, isn't there, about both the child's prayer and the response she gave to her parents. I hope we as a people of faith can hold space for childlike faith. I hope we can hold space for that in our own Christian lives and, uh, when appropriate, not making it more complicated than it really ought to be. Of course, as we grow older, both in years and in maturity, We know that life is more complicated than that. We know that faith is more complex than that. And we have uh, this sense or, or even a certain bit of knowledge that prayer is much more than simply asking God what we want. Anyone who has prayed for more gelato or a new job or better health or that their kid would would, would make their way through a dark time, requests that sincerely originate in the very longings of our heart. Anyone who has prayed such prayers knows that sometimes we don't get what we want. Sometimes we get gelato and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get better health and sometimes we don't. Sometimes our child finds their way through that dark and difficult time and sometimes they don't. And it's at that juncture in the, in the shadow of of a so-called unanswered prayer, that there's sort of a spiritual reckoning we might go through 
For if prayer is simply asking God for what we desire or what we yearn for or, or what we want, if that's what prayer is, is, is all about and then it comes to pass that we don't get what we want, we are left, I think, with two options. Some folks will take the first option, and that option includes a critique or a blame of, of God, blaming God for not showing up, blaming God for not answering the prayer the way we had hoped. Some will even walk away from God. Some will even walk away from their faith. Some will walk away from their faith community. Some will still believe in God, and they will, quote-unquote, keep the faith, but just keep it in a different way, a way that's maybe more suspicious, a way that's maybe more depleted. Yes, they'll continue to believe that God exists, but maybe they've come to believe that God is impotent, or that God is uninvolved, or God is capricious, inconsistent, even arbitrary. For them, God still exists, but God can't be trusted, or God doesn't care, or God is distant and God is uninvolved, that God is ignorant to the affairs of my life or the affairs of the world. That is the first option in the shadow of these unanswered prayers, and truth be told, many people take it. And I have a hunch that some of you have taken that road, have chosen that option. Perhaps some of you are actively choosing it now. There is, of course, a second option. It's, it's the choice to, I think, explore and to mine and to imagine and perhaps even reimagine what truly is the meaning and the efficacy of prayer. And for those who are interested in that conversation, those who are interested in, in that work or at least curious about that section, second option, interested in that inquiry, we have a brand new sermon series that we launched today. But I want to be clear on, on, on one point. Uh, for me, this sermon series is not an academic exercise. This is not an academic exercise. It's not found its impetus in questions of the intellect, but rather it's found its origins and impetus in the questions and longings of the heart. Questions that have been made manifest in the inquiries and the conversations I have been paying attention to over the last several months or things that I've even heard myself say or pray over the last several months. Specifically, inquiries and conversations and questions about prayer. Why should I pray in the first place? Why didn't God answer my prayer the way I had hoped? Does God care about the details of my life? Does God care about what I'm going through? Why pray at all if God already knows those details or if everything is already fixed and determined under God's sovereignty and providence? Or is everything open? Has God not made up God's divine mind yet? If so, does that mean I have to, to pray harder, more often, more fervently when it comes to the questions and anxieties of my heart? Does God move uh, only when a certain number of prayers is reached? As if God is sort of waiting for us to reach a, a certain number. I think this one needs 73. We just need a few more before I'm going to make a move. Or do you need the right kind of people to pray? Righteous people, holy people who have a deeper connection with God than perhaps you think you do. Is it okay to ask God to heal me? 
Is it okay to ask God to heal my loved one when so many others aren't healed? Or why did this one who prayed for healing survive? And why did this one who prayed the same exact prayer die? These are the questions and the conversations I've been paying attention to over the last several months. And as you can infer by this list, I've been keeping a record of them. I've been writing them down because I've been compelled by them. I've been moved by them. I've been humbled by them. I've been challenged by them. And through them, I've had this sense from the Holy Spirit starting about three months ago that we really should take up this work as a community. That we should take up this work around the question, what really is the meaning and efficacy of prayer? Why does it matter in the life of the Christian? Before I I, I get into what I'll call sort of a summary reflection to set up this series, I want to say something that I believe is important to say. This is what philosophers would call prolegomen. It's the thing they feel like they need to say before they say the things they want to say. So here's what I feel like I need to say. In some ways, prayer is like riding a bike, right? You could go to YouTube and put in a search for how to ride a bike, and you'd get a lot of different videos describing how to do that. It'll talk about balance. It'll describe the mechanics of pedaling. It'll explain how to to turn and hopefully how to brake, But the fact of the matter is, and you know this if you know how to ride a bike, is that you can't learn to ride a bike through instruction. Sure, there will be people, your parents and grandparents, siblings, who who sort of help you and guide you. But you don't really learn to ride a bike until you get on the seat and you start pedaling. You don't really learn how to ride a bike until you have trial and error, until you have many falls and, and many skinned knees. It's not until then that your competency begins to grow and becomes like, well, riding a bike, right? It becomes like riding a bike. It's intuitive. There's muscle memory. There's previous experience that you even subconsciously lean into. And I think prayer, friends, functions in the same way. While one could be instructed, while one could be a part of this sermon series and listen to every sermon to hear about prayer, to talk about the techniques of prayer and and the efficacy and meaning of prayer. We don't really learn what prayer is all about until we actually pedal, until we actually pray. So the word I feel like I need to say is that nothing in this sermon will connect to your life of faith if you're not willing to start pedaling. Or perhaps pedaling in a different way, pedaling in a a deeper way, practicing prayer in ways that maybe you didn't even think you were capable of. If we don't actually climb the bike and sit in the seat of prayer, then this sermon series won't have a lot of resonance with the life of faith. So with that said, here's the question. What is really the meaning and efficacy of prayer? What is it all about And so, friends, let me offer these these three ideas. First, the meaning and efficacy of prayer is intimacy with God. It's intimacy with God. Second, the meaning and efficacy of prayer is transparency with God. And third, the meaning and efficacy of prayer is activity 
that comes from knowing God, from knowing ourselves, and knowing who God is calling us and forming us to be. So I want to take each one of these in turn. And again, this is just a brief summary to set us up for this series. And so let me first say something about intimacy. The meaning and efficacy of prayer is intimacy with God. Prayer is first and foremost, and this is so important, it's first and foremost relational. It's not transactional. It's not transactional. It's relational at its very core. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said when he said that that prayer is how we find our way to God. It's how we find our way to God. The parent of Presbyterianism, John Calvin, argued that believers don't pray with the intention of informing God about things God does not know about, as if God doesn't know all things. Calvin also said that the believers do not pray with the hope of urging God to sort of wake up from God's sleep and to do God-like things as if God were reluctant to be God. Calvin said, no, on the contrary, believers pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek God that they may exercise their faith in meditating on God's promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into God's heart. Friends, prayer is a first principle in the life of faith because it is the primary way we commune with God. It's the primary way we commune with God. Prayer is how we become more intimate with God. Prayer is how we come to discover the gracious and merciful and just and sovereign and loving character of this God who created you and created the world and loves us still. In addition to intimacy, the meaning and efficacy of prayer is also transparency. Prayer is the place where we can really be vulnerable. It's the place where we can be our true selves. It's the place where we can tell the truth about ourselves. Prayer gives us the opportunity to speak the truth before God, speak the truth of our deepest longings and our hurts and our pains and our frustrations and our disconnectedness and our disappointments and our failures and our sins and our successes and our hopes and our dreams. Prayer is also the place where we can thank God for what God has already done and is doing in our life to recognize the goodness of God in our lives. Part of of transparency, rather, in prayer is unveiling our gratitude. I want you to think of that image. What would it mean to unveil your gratitude, to actually speak it to God, to speak it so you can hear it yourself of what God has done in your life. I love what mystic Meister Eckhart said, and I've probably used this in a hundred sermons before this one. If the only prayer you prayed was thank you, that would be enough. If the only prayer you prayed was thank you, that would be enough. I'm also taken by one of my favorite authors, Brendan Manning, and what he says about transparency and vulnerability in prayer. He wrote this, when I get honest in prayer, I admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting and suspicious. I'm honest 
and I still play games. Aristotle, he said, told me that I'm a rational animal. I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. In prayer, he says, I acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace really means. See, friends, in this transparency, we we discover not only who we are, but who God is calling us to be in light of who God already is. Prayer is where we are formed and transformed into the likeness of Christ. And this leads us to, to my final thought for this morning about the meaning and efficacy of prayer. It includes intimacy. It includes transparency. But the meaning and efficacy of prayer is also about activity with God. Participating in what God is up to in your life and up to in the world. Katie and I have a a little wall hanging in our powder room that says, get on your knees and pray. Then get on your feet and work. We hope our boys see that. Corey Ten Boom put it much more theologically when she said, We never know how God will answer our prayers, but we can expect that God will get us involved in God's plan for the answer. She said, If we are true intercessors, we must be ready to take part in God's work on behalf of the people for whom we pray. I'll close with this story. One of my mentors and professors, Reverend Dr. Tony Campola, was fond of of telling this particular story of something that happened to him many years ago when he spoke at a college out in central Pennsylvania. Campolo got in his car, he left Philadelphia, and he made his way on the turnpike heading west, uh, heading toward the campus. He arrived a couple hours after he started his journey, and when he arrived, he was met by several students, several administrators who brought him into sort of the robing room, the vestry of the chapel. And those who were, were there... Uh, were there to pray for him, to pray for his words, and to pray for the students' hearts that they would that they would receive God's word to them for that particular chapel service. It was more of a, a charismatic community with a lot of alleluias and amens and, and laying on of hands. And Tony would tell you that the weight of their hands continued to increase as the prayer stretched on and on and on and on. Nonetheless, he was grateful because they were praying for him and praying for that worship service. When all of a sudden, one of the the men, an administrator of the college, started praying a totally different prayer. He said, Lord, I have a special request for you this morning. Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. You know him well. You know he lives in that silver trailer about a mile down the road from the school. Prayer went on. Lord, You know that this morning Charlie told me that that he's going to leave his wife and his three kids. Lord, please step in and, and do something. Lord, intervene. Bring healing to that marriage. Bring wholeness to that family. The prayer time ended and Campolo was somewhat perplexed by this tangent in the prayer. Nonetheless, he preached. He greeted students afterwards. And then he got in his car and he started heading east to make his way home. And just before he was about to get on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, he noticed a hitchhiker on the side of the road. This was back in the day when hitchhiking was more of a thing. And Tony, being who he was, decided that he was going to give him a ride. He got in the car. Tony said, where are you headed? 
He said, wherever you're headed. And Tony said, I'm, I'm going back to Philly. And then he introduced himself. He said, my name's Tony Campolo. Nice to meet you. And the, the man said, my name is Charlie Stoltzfus. Nice to meet you. And, and Campolo couldn't believe it. I mean, what, what, are the, what are the odds? And so Tony pulled off the next exit from the turnpike. He was heading east. He got on the westbound, got into the westbound lane and started heading back toward the college. The man said, hey, mister, what are you doing? And he said, I'm taking you home. He said, why? He said, because you just left your wife and your three kids. Absolutely stunned and now with his back pressed against the passenger side door. Said, how did you know that? Tony didn't say anything until he pulled up to the silver trailer at the end of the road down from the college. Charlie said, how did you know I live here? And Tony said, the Lord told me in a prayer. At that moment, when Charlie got out of the car, the trailer door flung open and Charlie's wife ran out and said, you're back? You're back? And she started to cry and they embraced and, and Charlie whispered in her ear all that had just happened and she almost passed out. Tony then said to the couple, I'd like to to come in and and visit with you. I want to share with you about God's love for you and the power of God's love to heal what's broken inside of you and and to mend your marriage and to bring your family back together. And that's exactly what Tony did. Frederick Buechner, the great Presbyterian pastor and writer, once said that we should go where our best prayers take us. That we should go where our best prayers take us. And that's exactly what Tony did that day. And I think that's what we're called to do as well. Friends, the meaning and the efficacy of prayer is intimacy, transparency, and activity. And as we move through this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look week by week for the next couple months. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to look line by line, word by word. And we're going to apply this notion of the meaning and efficacy of prayer through questions like, what kind of intimacy are we being invited to through this prayer? Or what kind of transparency and vulnerability are we called to to speak through this prayer? And what kind of activity is God calling us to participate in through this prayer? We're going to go back to the basics, the very prayer that Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer. And apply this idea, apply this lens so that we may come to maybe a deeper understanding of really what prayer is for us, for the life of faith, but also for the life of the church and of the world. And so I look forward to sharing this journey. I look forward to carrying this water together. I look forward to taking a deep dive into this prayer that Jesus has left us. And I look forward to growing as a community of faith and as individuals around what it means to practice this primary principle of prayer. Amen. My encouragement this week as we get ready for this series is is really to get on the bike and to start pedaling. Maybe maybe it's a different route for you. Maybe you're already pedaling, you're already there. Uh, Or perhaps it's you getting on the bike for the first time. And let me say, it's not the easiest discipline. It's not the easiest practice. You will fall, there'll be some skinned knees. But what we will discover uh, in this discipline of prayer, in this primary principle of prayer, is intimacy with God. We'll discover an opportunity to be transparent with God. And we'll discover the activity that God is up to in our lives and in the world. An invitation to participate in what God is doing. 
And now as we go out into God's good world, may the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in him. May his peace live inside of you this day and every day ahead. Amen.